Welcome to Medical Matters Weekly with Dr. Trey Dobson, presented by Southwestern Vermont Healthcare and Catamount Access Television. Well, hello, everyone. Today is January 5th, 2022. I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly. In fact, this is the first episode of season two. So thank you for joining us. It is a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. My guest today is Larry Cole, a former police detective and COVID survivor, here to tell us about his experience. Larry, welcome, and thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. Where are you right now? Where are you um, videoing in from? I'm at home. Great. Okay. So let's just um, start a little bit about you first to sort of lay the groundwork. Talk to us about uh, your background and, and where you grew up. So I was born in Bennington uh, at the age of 17. Um, my family, me included, moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we were there for about seven years. Um, graduated from a high school in the Phoenix area. I did my senior year out there. Um, at the age of 19, I joined the Phoenix Police Department, and I was with that department until I moved back here in 1978 to uh, join and help with the family business. Uh, in 1980, uh, I was kind of missing police work, so I was hired by the Bennington Police Department. Uh, on a part-time status. So I was a part-time officer for 21 years while at the same time um, involved with and running the family business. Uh, 2001, we sold the family business and I was hired as a full-time police officer with the town of Bennington in 2001. And I was there for 19 years in a full-time status until I retired in June of 2020. Wow. I'm going to tell you something funny. I haven't got a chance to tell you. It's not that funny, but it's funny to me. I started here in 2005 and um, I was working in the emergency department one day, you know, very early in, in my start here, probably within the first three weeks. And you came in and were talking to me uh, about a situation. And I thought you actually worked for the hospital and worked in the emergency department. I thought, wow, that's so cool. They have their own detective here right in the emergency department uh, until I later found out that was not the case. But you were so comfortable and friendly and you had a badge on of some type. And, uh, and I, I won't forget that. It was an interesting situation, uh, to say the least. So tell us a little bit uh, about your family then. So this coming May, I will have <clears throat> been married for 41 years to my wife, Mary. Wow. Um, we have two children, two boys. Um, 33 and 29. They're both married and they both have a child. So we have two uh, daughter-in-laws and two grandchildren, a boy and a girl. And we're extremely fortunate because we're all within walking distance of each other. Wow, that's so great. It is. So um, I'm just going to jump right into this a little bit. Uh, for those of you who are not viewing and, and are listening on the podcast, I can tell you, Larry looks great. He looks just like I have always known him and, and, uh, and remember him. However, he went through a really rough spell, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So tell us how you first learned about COVID and what those early days were like. 
Well, I certainly was aware that COVID was going through our community. Um, and that brings us to December of 2020. I started feeling poorly. Um, I had a temperature. Um, I had quite a cough. And I started noticing that I was having difficulty breathing. So I went to the rescue squad and uh, had a COVID test. And that was on December 19th. And that test came back positive. Um, at that time, you know, the deal was you kind of stayed home and kind of, you know, dealt with it, see if you could get through it. So that's what I was working towards. Uh, as the days move forward, um, my symptoms got progressively worse um, until early in the morning, Christmas morning, December 25th. Um, I, I was just having a hard time breathing. Uh, my temp was 103.8. Um, and I said to my wife, I said, Mary, I can't do this anymore. <clears throat> so I called the ER, you know, because I have a lot of connections there. And uh, <clears throat> I spoke to the charge nurse, told him um, how I was feeling and asked him what I should do. And he said, get your butt up here. <laughs> we'll get you right in. <clears throat> so uh, my wife dropped me at the front door. And that's the last time I saw her for 18 days. Um, got right into the ER immediately. You know, I was swarmed with medical staff. They came in, they did an x-ray of my lungs right there in the exam room. And before too long, I was admitted and I was first placed in a negative pressure room in West Wing. Um, I was there for probably a day. And my demand for oxygen kept increasing. And I was then moved to East Wing, which has a more modern or updated oxygen delivery system. Um, and I was there for about a day. And then they came in and told me that my demand for oxygen was exceeding what they could give me an east wing so that's where i ended up in icu and i was in icu i believe for 16 days um never <laughs> thank god i never ended up on a ventilator and that was something that really concerned me um and i i asked a lot of questions i wanted to be very involved in my medical care so i asked questions um, and I got answers. Many times the answers were, we don't know. There's no playbook. And, you know, it's still today. It, COVID ex, um, affects people in so many different ways. How it affected me is not how it's going to affect the next person. And, you know, we were early on into this. But, um, yeah, it was quite the experience. You know, I went in there at age 66 Prior to that, I had spent one night in the hospital in my entire life. I think I was like 12 years old. So it, it was a totally new experience for me. Talk about, you know, I'm interested in those first days right before you came to the hospital. And then when you came in the hospital, I mean, you've uh, obviously faced incredible situations, uh, dangers and fears in your line of work. But this, I'm sure, was something completely different. Um, were you nervous? Was your wife nervous? What was going on in your head? 
at home, I don't think I was nervous. I just thought that I could go to the hospital. They give me some kind of injections or whatever. And, and you know, I, I wasn't even thinking that I would be admitted when I went there. Right. You know, I was expecting some kind of intervention and send me home. And that didn't happen. Um, so like I said, this whole hospital thing being admitted was totally new to me. And I didn't know where I was going. Um, but when I was transferred from one room to the other because of the my demands for oxygen. Um, then I became concerned. And <clears throat> then when they came in and told me that my best bet was to go to ICU, um, that was kind of set me back. Right, right. And so then it, go ahead. I mean, you're a pretty, you know, you're a healthy guy. You're not 20 anymore, uh, but you're very active. Did you have people questioning, like, why did you get sick? And, and also were people wondering, you know, what did you do to get this? Because this unbelievably was only a year ago, but our mindset was very different a year ago uh, in society. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I had nothing. You know, I was in good physical condition. I was active. I've never smoked. I, I, the only thing that I had as a negative was my age. I was 66, but I had, there was no underlying reason for me to have gotten so sick. It's just luck of the draw. Um, and to go along with this, my entire family tested positive. My two my wife, my two sons, my two daughter-in-laws, and my then five-month-old grandson and two-year-old granddaughter everyone tested positive. Um, fortunately, the, the children didn't have any symptoms. Uh, my wife had maybe the sniffles and um, my two sons and their daughter-in-laws had like cold symptoms and a couple of them lost their sense of taste and smell, mm -hmm. but nothing really put them out. And, you know, I was totally the opposite. And if you're just joining us um, uh, and we're thinking about the time frame here, we're talking about a year ago, a little over a year ago, vaccines were, were not available, uh, almost getting ready to be available, uh, but not available. And, uh, and folks were really succumbing to the disease. And that's what we're talking about here with Larry. So let's talk a little bit more about your hospital experience. Um, I too have not been a patient in a hospital, but work in one. And I'm around one as you have been around one. I imagine it gets pretty boring at times. Well, it was. And, and part of that boredom was I, I had a mask on with, you know, a high flow oxygen, which is noisy. Um, I had a television, but I could not hear it because the oxygen flowing into, into me took away my ability to hear that type of thing. So that really added to the boredom. Um, I was able to get a tablet sent from home, but I had to hold it up to my ear, you know, but, you know, and then of course I was very interested in all the medical things. So I was trying to do my own research and, you know, I, I really learned to stay away from the, the general media and only focus on, um, reliable sources, you know, like, um, 
you know, John Hopkins and Mayo Clinic and all of that, because if you read some of that other stuff, it, it can be way wrong and, and get you in, in the a wrong position. And speaking of the wrong position, um, I'm usually a very positive guy, but I noticed myself slipping and I, I knew that I was having bad thoughts. Uh, I got to the point where I didn't think that I was going to come out of there alive. Mm -hmm. Um, and fortunately I realized that and I was still in a position to talk myself out of it. Um, but I, I had many conversations with my nurses and they helped me so much. I mean, mm -hmm. I think they realized how scared I was, how lonely I was. And there were times when they had the time that they would just sit on the edge of the bed or pull up a chair and we'd just talk. And it didn't have to be about my situation. We just talked about, you know, things in general. And that was a huge help. And that's something that I don't think people expect to, you know, to, to um, get when, when you're being treated and you're seriously ill, you know, you just think it's all black and white and, and, you know, all business. And it wasn't, you know, um, I even had, you know, um, Dunkin' Donuts coffee brought into me, you know, and I have a thing for the Boston cream donuts and, uh, they might've shown up at my bedside a couple of times. And, you know, that, that is, that is the type of caring and care that I, that I received. And it was so good for me emotionally. And, you know, you got to have that to help yourself get better too. Absolutely. In, in fact, it's almost equally as important as any type of medical treatment. When you're having that feeling that, you know, we call it despair, uh, you've got to have others start to intervene. You know, I've talked to um, some COVID survivors who felt that. I've, I've talked to others who who felt more shame, which is the unfortunate thing that happens around certain illnesses. I think today, a lot of that is gone as people see how widespread the disease is, that anyone can get it, uh, no matter what you're doing. Uh, but I can imagine a year ago, some of those thoughts probably also creeped into your head um, as you were trying to deal with the fact that you were in an ICU uh, trying to get over this, this disease. But you did get over it. And talk to us about when you got discharged from the hospital and then, and then what happened. So I was discharged right from the ICU to home on January 11th. Um, my wife picked me up out in front, had a little fanfare going on out there. Um, uh, but so when I got home, I knew I was weak, but I didn't realize how weak I was. She drove into the garage and we only have two steps to get up into the house. Mm. I couldn't do it. Mm. Fortunately, my two sons were here. and One got under each arm and basically helped or lifted me up those two steps and got me into the living room. Um, I lost 22 pounds in 18 days. Um, and I thought I was eating fairly well in there, but uh, I didn't realize how much I had lost um, in, you know, weight wise, but my physical stamina. So I got planted on the sofa. Um, for the first two months, I was on oxygen. Uh, 
for the first 30 days, I was on it 24 seven. I had a machine sitting there, you know, the nasal cannula, and that was my life for the first 30 days. Um, you know, for the first week or so to, to even get up off of the sofa and walk 15 feet to the bathroom, I had to use a walker. Um, it was a major undertaking to do something so simple. And, you know, it, it just floored me of what I had become. And um, it, you know, I just, you know, when I have days where I'm kind of down because I'm not right yet, I, I look back to what I was when I came home a year ago and I say, you know, I've done pretty darn good. Absolutely. You know, so for the folks that are just joining us, uh, what we're talking about here is, is a period of deconditioning that Larry went through, plus the fact that he had direct insult uh, to his lungs from COVID itself. That's one of the uh, things about the disease that make it uh, so difficult. And, and some people take months to recover as, as he did and require that extra oxygenation. And I can imagine that was just depressing, uh, but you got through that and you talked about symptoms that you have now. Tell us what symptoms do you have now, if any? Oh, I do. So the, the primary symptoms I have are three, uh, shortness of breath um, and you know, it's much, much, much better than it was a year ago. Um, but basically, right now, I can do anything that I want to do. It just takes me longer to do it. Um, like I could walk quite a distance on the level, but you put a, um, a slight hill or an incline in front of me, and that takes its toll. Uh, climbing stairs, um, you know, that, that gets me, um, but I can do it. All I got to do is when I get to the top of the flight of stairs, I pause for a few moments, collect myself, and then keep going. So, you know, as I tell people, I can live with the shortness of breath because I'm still doing anything that I want. It just takes me longer to do it. Um, I something new for me is suffering from fatigue. Um, I never was a guy to take naps or anything like that, but now I, for the last many months, I find that I, if, if I take a 30 to 45 minute nap early in the afternoon, it kind of energizes me and gets me further into the evening. So I can do that. I'm retired. I can do that. Um, the, the biggest thing, that is a challenge for me is a cough. And the cough is, it, it, it's very demoralizing. Um, I don't have control over the cough and it's not a tickle, it comes from down deep. Mm. And I have, I have inflammation in my lungs as a result of COVID. The inflammation is causing this cough, like I said, which I can't control. So, you know, picture yourself going out into the public and coughing deeply, you know, many times in a row. It's embarrassing. People look at you. They think you're sick. Um, I find myself, you know, <laughs> explaining to people, you know, that ask that I'm not sick. I, it, it's a after effect of COVID. So for the last 10 months, 
uh, I have been uh, being treated, um, trying to find the right way, method, process, procedure to get rid of that inflammation. And that is the one thing that really uh, is affecting me now. It, it affects my daily life. Uh, sometimes it, it, I can, without the medication, I cough so much, I have to go into the bedroom and lay down proning like I did in ICU to open up my lungs to help me stop this terrible cough. Um, it, it's, it's, it's overwhelming at times, but it's under control right now uh, uh, because of the medication that I'm on. You know, Larry, you just did an excellent job of, of describing some of the symptoms that I, I see in patients, actually younger patients uh, in, their, in their 30s, some even their 20s, but generally in their 30s and 40s who don't end up in the hospital. Uh, they chose not to be vaccinated and they felt like that they were above the disease and that if they did get it, it wouldn't be so bad and they don't wind up in the hospital, yet they have these prolonged uh, symptoms months and even are still having them where they describe it that, um, that they just can't walk or run as well as they used to could. And, and it, it bothers them. It's their exercise capacity that's decreased. And, you know, maybe they didn't get very sick and maybe they didn't end up in the hospital, uh, but they still, they're not, they're not where they were before. And that's why it's so important we do what we can uh, to limit the effects um, through vaccination and, and boosting. Are you vaccinated now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as soon as it became available, I mean, I wanted to know, can I get it now? You know, because I was reading different things. And I'll have to tell you, I made a call to um, Dr. George's office. Yes. Um, simply, I wanted to ask the receptionist to ask her, given my present circumstance, is there any reason I should not? And it astounded me. Dr. George called me back and we probably That's talked for like 15 minutes. And she assured me that it's no danger for me in my position or situation and to get it. So I got off the phone and, um, you know, I had to wait 60 days um, from my discharge and I went right up there. So I got my first dose, I got my second dose. And then when the booster thing came out, I learned that in my particular situation, I was able to get a third full dose. So, you know, cause a, a booster is a half a dose, but I got a third full dose. So I'm uh, vaccinated and I'm boosted times two. <laughs> well, that is fantastic. And, and we want to spread that news because that's, what's going to keep people safe. You know, as we see these COVID numbers just rising so dramatically over the past three weeks with Omicron taking its foothold, we're not seeing quite that rise in hospitalizations. And, and that is primarily due to the effects of the vaccine, almost exclusively. It's not due to the fact that the virus is, is that less uh, impactful. It is, but the vaccination rate is so strong here. Um, and hopefully that'll keep us in check. We've got several more weeks of this. Uh, we may see uh, the capacity in the hospitals uh, or the volume of patients increasing significantly. We're ready for that, uh, but we're concerned about it. Um, Larry, thank you so much for, for being on this show and sharing your experience. I have to tell you, I see patients all the time 
uh, who've had COVID or have COVID, but have not had as detailed of a discussion on the description. You could you could write a short story on this. Well, it's been an experience, and you know it, it's one that I don't want to repeat. But I'm here, so that's the important part. Do you have plans for this for this for the new year? Do you have any resolutions or uh, a bucket list <laughs> you're going to get? Uh, my resolution is to keep moving forward. I know it's baby steps. Um, and we're going to travel like we did last year once I got out and found that I was going to live. <laughs> That's great. Well, send us some photos. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our guest was Larry Cole. I'd like to thank Mike Cutler from Cat TV, Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, and Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity, and we'll see you next week.